If SEO is on your list of things to tackle this year for your food blog, you are in luck today. Once you know the ins and outs of SEO, you will be empowered to write better content and rank higher. Today, we're going to talk about five things that you can do to boost your SEO. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume, and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back to this episode of the Vine Podcast. I'm super excited to get a little bit nerdy today and talk about something that I know is super important for food bloggers, and that is SEO or search engine optimization. I wanted to make sure this week's episode was very practical for you and was filled with tips of things that you can do on your own to boost your SEO not just tips like hiring an SEO expert to help you. There are definitely many times that that is the best option for you, but the reality with SEO and food blogging is that you can't outsource all of the SEO for your food blog. You have to know some of the ins and outs and you have to be able to implement certain things on your own. So that is what we're going to cover in today's episode. Now, if you are brand new to the podcast, welcome to this episode. And I know that you are going to take away some very actionable things that you can do on your blog. My name is Madison Wetherill, and I'm the CEO and founder over here at Grace and Vine Studios. We specialize in building custom brands and websites for food bloggers who are looking to take their business to the next level. Now, if you're ever curious about how we work with clients or what that would look like to work together, you can head over to graceandvinestudios.com and check on the services tab to see the different packages that we offer, what our availability is, and how the packages work. And if you decide that it's the best fit for you right now, or you have questions and you want to chat through those, you can book a call for us to get to know each other, make sure that it's a good fit on both sides and potentially book your project. Currently, as I'm recording this, we are booking for late spring and early summer for our projects. And I know that the summer gets crazy busy, crazy fast for a lot of us as we have, you know, kids home from school and vacations and all of that stuff. So If a redesign or a rebrand is on your list for this year, please reach out as soon as possible so that we can make sure we get you on our schedule. Now, as always, I love to share a little bit of a personal note behind the scenes just to get to know me a little bit as the person behind the microphone. And this week I was trying to figure out what I wanted to share because every week I have to kind of remind myself what I've shared recently since I'm usually recording these episodes ahead of time. This week, I wanted to share a little bit about something I've talked about on the podcast in other episodes, and that is that I have been doing batch photo shoots for the last few months now, and it is a complete game changer for how much content I can create on my blog. If you listened back to the blog growth episode or my blog growth plan episode from the end of last year, I talked about how we're going to be really increasing the amount of content that we are creating at 
an exponential level this year. And so one of the ways that I've been able to do that, and we are going to be able to do that, is by shooting recipes in bulk. So I very rarely shoot one recipe at a time. I'm typically shooting anywhere from four to eight recipes for different blog posts at a time when I do a full photo shoot day. And it's been really fun because I have an in-person assistant who helps me with them and we get to just like hang out and chat and cook through you know these recipes together. But I also just get to kind of be in this creative flow state as I'm working through the photography for each blog post. And it's just been a completely different way of working than I've ever worked on my food blog before. So if you've never done like a batch photo shoot for your content, I would highly recommend it. It is totally worth investing that time, you know, once or twice a month to be able to get ahead on a ton of content. So let's dive into the good stuff for this episode, and we are going to talk all about SEO, and again, specifically things that you can do to boost your SEO this year. The first thing that you can do is to focus on site speed and to speed things up. If your blog is slow, it I won't even say it could be hurting you, it is definitely hurting your chances of ranking well on Google. Google prioritizes sites with a good user experience. And if you've ever been on a slow website, you know that being on a slow website is not a good experience. So working on site speed is kind of like eating vegetables or working out. You have to do it in order to keep your website healthy. Luckily though, you don't have to work on site speed every single day. That would make a lot of us pull our hair out, but you should take some time to work on it and to get your site running up to speed. A few things that you can do are to work with your ad management company to optimize your settings, and you can also focus on lightening up your plugins. We recently published a blog post on the Grace and Vine website that was titled Six Quick Wins for Site Speed, so I would recommend checking that out for more specific things that you can do. And this also has a really cool plugin audit tracker template, which you can download and help you decide what you need to do with each of your plugins. You can also talk to a site speed expert or your web host, or you might need to consider switching hosts if you find that your site speed is just not getting optimized with the hosting that you have. So the first thing that you can do to boost your SEO is to focus on site speed and look for ways and quick wins for improving your site speed. Next up is something that I know you have heard about if you've been in the food logging space for any length of time, and that is updating your old content. Updating your old content will be the fastest way for you to work smarter and not harder and let your content do the hard working for you. New content is a super important part of blogging and it's great, but if you have an older website, you likely are sitting on a huge gold mine of great recipes that are not optimized for SEO. This can be even true if you're a new food blogger because maybe you didn't pay a lot of attention to SEO right at the beginning. So take stock of your previous content to see if it has better SEO potential. Back in episode 147, we talked about creating more content and there's a lot of tips in that episode for making the most of your older content. So definitely give that episode a listen as well. But here's a couple of the big takeaways from that episode. If you use a tool like WP All Export, you can download a list of all of your blog posts. Then you can spend a couple of hours or a couple of days going through all of your content, especially from the time before you started learning about SEO and decide if it's content that you want to delete and redirect to something new, update it, or maybe you want to leave it as is. 
Then you can do some keyword research on each of the ones that you want to update and decide if there's any keyword potential there. So for example, on my own food blog, I had a really old blog post about how to make pie crust. Last fall, we updated it for a more specific keyword because to be honest, the keyword I originally chose was something very out there and unique. So we wanted to make sure that it was something people could find with things that they were already searching for. So these are ways that you can take old content and make it new again by finding a better keyword, finding something that people are searching for and allowing that post to rise up in rankings now that it's you know tied to something that people are actually looking for. So you can look at the recipe that you're trying to rework and ask yourself, what makes this recipe special? How does it differ from other posts that are ranking number one for that type of keyword? Does it fit within a specific diet or does it have a special ingredient? These are all ways that you can find a new keyword that fits that blog post and will take the blog post in an interesting spin to again, help people to find it in a unique way. Now, in some cases, you might want to retest the recipe or change the recipe so that it better fits your brand. So for example, maybe you have old blog posts that used to use real sugar, but now you focus on sugar-free recipes. If it works and there's a keyword to support your idea, then go for it and reuse that post in a new way. Other cases, you might find that a recipe is really great, but just doesn't have good keywords. And that is totally fine too. You can leave those posts alone, or you can just do a light update to bring it to the top. For my blog, I have quite a few of these recipes that are amazing recipes. They are really great for my brand and for my audience, but they do not have a really strong keyword. An example of this is I have a recipe for goat cheese biscuits. They're delicious and we love them, but nobody is searching for that term, at least not yet. So I have the decision of whether or not to leave that post on my blog for my loyal audience to find, or do I take it down and just let it be something that you know I used to have and I no longer have. So you have that decision to make when you find a blog post of yours that needs an update, but there is no keyword that really works for it. Speaking of keywords, the third way that you can boost your SEO this year is by investing in a keyword tool. Now, if you've wondered, as I've been talking about keywords, how do you even know what a good keyword is? How do you find out that information? Investing in a keyword tool is how you're going to figure that out. Making informed and database decisions should be the only kind of decisions that you're making in your business. And content is an area where you can make very strategic decisions, and I highly recommend that you do. A keyword tool is really going to help you go into the data behind how people search and how you can best serve them with your content. I will link in the show notes to an episode we did a while back with Ty Kilgore about how to do keyword research. It's definitely one that I would still recommend listening to. Now, a couple of the top keyword research tools out there are Ahrefs and SEMrush. These are great tools because they provide a lot of data about keywords and your site's performance in search specifically, but they can be pretty expensive. In the past, I've also used KeySearch, which is very affordable. They have a small package that you can get started with if you are just dipping your toes into keyword research in general. And then there are some free tools out there like Keywords Everywhere, but I have found that if SEO is something that you want to invest in in your business with your time, you might as well invest in a tool that's going to help you make those strategic decisions and is going to help propel your business forward. Now, before you write any blog post or update any blog post, you want to be checking these tools for the best keywords to use. 
The example I always like to tell people, especially people who are not in the food blogging space, is if you are creating something that nobody is searching for, there's really not a point in spending your time to put that out there. It would be a much better use of your time to find something that people are looking for that you have expertise in and create your content around that. There is another type of keyword tool that you can invest in, and this is one that allows you to audit your content after you've written it. Rank IQ, Neuron Writer, and Surfer SEO are tools that all work similarly in this way. Basically, what you do is you write your blog post and then you copy it over into one of these tools, and it will help you to find the related keywords that you can work into your post very naturally. I personally use Rank IQ for my blog, and I have found that sometimes it will inspire us to write a whole new section that weren't originally in our outline for the blog post, but are going to help the reader in the end. So it's not like you are just making stuff up to fluff up your content and make it perform better for SEO, but it can genuinely help you to create better content, which is ultimately the goal and ultimately what is going to help things to perform better in search. So if you have the budget to pay for one of these tools and you can use it weekly, if not daily in your business, you are going to see returns in a big way by focusing on keyword research through a keyword tool like one of the ones that I've just mentioned. The next thing that you should do to boost your SEO this year is to implement a better linking strategy, or maybe it's a linking strategy at all if you've never focused on backlinks. Links are really the backbone of the internet. They literally are the way that the web in the World Wide Web forms, so they are not something to ignore. They are a super powerful way to communicate information to Google. Google recently updated their linking best practices, and I'm going to link them in the show notes because it's really important to check this out and read it straight from Google what they are expecting from us when it comes to linking. But for the purposes of this episode and for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the gist of what they recommend. The first is to use relevant anchor text. So what that means is when you are writing a sentence, you don't want to say something like click here for whatever. You want to say vanilla cupcakes as the term that you are actually hyperlinking in your blog post. The reader is supposed to know what they're about to click on by the type of text. This is kind of easy to think about if you think about those crazy blog posts or links that you might see online where you have the clickbaity headline for you to click to read the article. We do not want to be doing that with our text. We want our anchor text to be specific to what someone is going to find if they click. You also don't want to place links too close together. Links should be spread out by a few words or even better, a few sentences. And then you want to be consistently using both internal and external links. So meaning you want to be linking out to other websites and linking to your own content as well. For external links, it shouldn't be just linking out to affiliate links or to your friend's blog posts. You want to be linking to quality experts. So for example, if you're writing a post on a smoothie that calls for a frozen banana, you could link to a post on how to freeze bananas, which I have a post on how to freeze bananas if you need something to link to in your next smoothie recipe post. But internal links are also super important. Every time that you publish a blog post, you should add a link to it in several other of your blog posts. This helps to connect all of your content to each other, and it will strengthen the content on your site in Google's eyes. When I interviewed one of our clients, Amy Duska, on how she grew her food blog from zero to a million page views in just four months, she talked about this concept of sort of this hub and wheel situation and how she was able to grow her food blog 
exponentially faster than her first food blog that she had through this strategy of interlinking. So this is definitely something to pay attention to. And I would recommend going back to that episode as well if you want to learn more about her strategy. Something else that's related to this idea is the idea of orphaned content. So if you have Yoast Premium, you may have seen before they have an actual filter in your blog post on your WordPress dashboard for your orphaned posts. What this means is posts that don't have any other posts linking to them are considered orphaned content. Now, this might be a stretch for me to explain it this way, but I like to think of it as a way Basically, if you have no content linking to a recipe that's on your site, in Google's eyes, that recipe isn't valuable enough to have a link going to it. So we want to make sure that we don't have blog posts on our website that aren't connected to another blog post via a link. You can also use a tool like Clarity to help you identify these blog posts if you don't have Yoast Premium, but I have found that investing in Yoast Premium for this feature alone to find your orphaned posts is really, really great. So you want to make it a point to check for these every week and make sure that you don't have new blog posts that are coming up as orphaned posts. This is a recurring task for my team that we go through and check this because I found that as I get rid of some of my older content that no longer is serving the blog and isn't relevant anymore, that sometimes that will open up a new orphaned blog post because the post I deleted had a link to another post in it and that happened to be the only one that was linking to it on that site. So long story short, definitely be mindful of how you are linking to your own content, other people's content, and whether or not you have these orphaned blog posts on your site. Now, the last thing that you should do is to go through your categories to help you identify content gaps and improve your linking strategy. This is what I would call a category audit. Now, every site has a sitemap, which tells Google and other search engines how your website is organized. If your categories are all over the place, which I will just be honest, this happens for a lot of us as food bloggers, it can be really confusing for search engines and Google to know what your website is about. Paring down your categories to the basics of your niche can be a really helpful way to identify places where you might have content gaps and then go and create that new content. Back in episode 138, I covered organizing your categories and I recommend giving that episode a listen as you're going through this process. For example, if you have a lot of cake and cupcake recipes, but right now you only have a desserts category, you might want to put them in their own subcategory called cakes and cupcakes. But in that process, you might realize that you're missing some really basic cake batter and frosting recipes like a plain chocolate cake, yellow cake, or a basic buttercream frosting. And these are all posts that you'll be able to link together as related content on your website down the road. But if you've been blogging for a while, you might have older types of posts that you used to do before you started focusing on food, like life updates or DIY projects or travel posts. I'm guilty of having all of these. There might be some old giveaways or link parties that are no longer even working. So going through this content and removing or sorting it into another category can really help you and search engines to focus on the content that really matters. And as one last bonus tip, make sure once you get things organized that your top categories are accessible from your main navigation and that they are featured on your recipe index. This is going to help your readers to find exactly what they need. And if you need help doing that and you need help with this concept of organizing your navigation or building out a recipe index that supports your readers, we would love to support you in building that. 
And that is one of my absolute favorite parts of working with someone on a custom website is being able to strategize around this concept of your categories, keeping things organized, and ultimately creating an amazing user experience for your readers on your website. So let's recap the five things you can do to boost your SEO this year. The first, working on your site speed, which will ultimately create a better user experience for your readers and will also signal to search engines that your site is prioritizing your users. Two, make your old content work harder for you by updating it and optimizing it for a better keyword. Three, invest in a keyword research tool to help you make better informed decisions about what posts you should create and update. Four, implement a better linking strategy to strengthen your site's content. And then five, audit your categories to provide a better user experience for your readers and to tell Google what your site is ultimately about. Be sure to put some time on your calendar for you to work through these different things that will help you to optimize your SEO this year and to help you reach higher rankings on Google. I hope that this really gave you some practical and tangible tips of things that you can do on your own to boost your SEO this year. Thanks for hanging out with me today, friends, and getting super nerdy with all things SEO. Until next week, talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.